Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former England and Manchester City winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's transfer guru Alex Crook on the weekend that Tottenham went top and Arsenal went bottom. Slipping to their third successive defeat with no goals scored to start the season. It has never happened before. At the moment, their team is a shambles and there doesn't seem to be any way out of it. On this episode, Chelsea show why they are title challengers, Liverpool missing a little ingredient and Manchester United break a record. They weren't very good. Mike Dean and his officials get stick on their way off from the Molyneux fans. Delighted United fans, including the Cristiano Ronaldo cutout on that far side. It's finished at Molyneux. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. Manchester United won. Every game reviewed with the accuracy of an Adama Traore shot and the heart of a bit of Callum Chambers defending from TalkSport. It's the Game Day Podcast. Hello, Trevor. I know that you've uh, been enjoying the sunshine over the weekend. Are you relaxed and chilled out? Well, I enjoyed Saturday. That was very good. Uh, really good entertainment at Anfield. Um, today, though, I've been doing DIY. So I've been in our walk-in wardrobe all day from about seven this morning, building wardrobes, and they look I'll send you some photos after. They look superb. Not all heroes wear capes, Trevor. Um, but uh, that means that you missed one of your team's um, games today because obviously you're a big Celtic fan. Um, I listened to it. All right. Yeah, I think they started well. Uh, looked like they sounded like they were in, in charge of the game. They lost, they lost though, didn't and they? And then, they yeah, lost, they lost one. They lost there, so just checking in. Um, what about you, Crook? Uh, how was your weekend? Oh, uh, okay, you had a busy weekend. Are you relieved that uh, we couldn't get anyone who was connected to Norwich to co-host the pod this week? <laughs> well, they lost again, didn't they? We'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, busy one. Uh, Brighton, Everton on Saturday. A uh, bit of a masterclass from... Rafa Benitez, and then I commentated Tottenham against Watford, did the boot room with the two Darrens, and obviously a big week ahead with the transfer window closing on Tuesday. Okay, right, big weekend, lots of football to dissect, so shall we start with the Saturday Night Pulse Razor? It may be festival season, but welcome to the main stage into the right side and the attack is on with Trent Alexander-Arnold on a lovely crossfield ball and Henderson is arriving on the volley and he misses Cusick oh that would have been some finish if Liverpool could have scored that 
Here's the corner over on the far side. Right footed from James. Flicked on by Havertz across the goalkeeper and in. And Chelsea have stolen a lead. Maybe against the run of play. Chelsea are now counter-attacking. Lukaku's made a run through the centre. Havertz hasn't found him yet. He's got it on his left foot. Tries a strike. Lukaku had made a brilliant run through the centre. If Conte had slipped it to him, there was a real problem for Liverpool. Big decision, big moment. Penalty to Liverpool, courtesy of VAR. And it's a red card for Rhys James. Wow. Steps up, left footed, drills it home. And Liverpool are level. And Mohamed Salah has his 99th Premier League goal on the stroke of half-time. Goes wide to Afilicueta. Alonso's at the far post, trying to reach it. Heads it down, Lukaku, blocked by Matip on the edge of the six-yard box. A brilliant block by Matip and a necessary one. There is the full-time whistle. The Chelsea fans are the ones that are celebrating because they've been hanging on for 45 minutes with just 10 men. A draw suggests that it might be tight at the top this campaign. I don't think too many of us will be complaining about that finishes Liverpool one Chelsea one Liverpool won, Chelsea won. Chelsea ended up frustrating <coughs> Liverpool, didn't they? And having to dig in to grind out a point. It was a fantastic first 45 minutes, really chaotic, wild open game. I spoke to Jurgen Klopp after the match and he said, you know, you have to make it a wild game against Chelsea because otherwise they control the match. And he said he didn't actually celebrate when Chelsea went down to 10 men, Trevor, because he knew exactly what Chelsea were going to do and what they were capable of. Yeah, they were they were absolutely brilliant in the second half. Talk about organisation, um, every man sticking to a task out of possession, really brave in possession, not just on the ball, but making angles for each other. And I actually feel that, well, I, I think they had the best chance of the second half, but not only that, if Lukaku and some of the midfielders behind him would have had better timing and better understanding about when Lukaku was going to make his runs, they could have won that game with 10 men. So I think it shows the strength and depth that Chelsea have the organisation, um, the characters, the real leaders that they've got in their side. You know, listen, they're Champions League uh, winners this this last season. So it doesn't surprise me, but it did surprise me how comfortable they dealt with that second 45 minutes. There's been a bit of debate about Reese James's uh, the penalty and the sending off. I think for me, players are so switched on. You know, he knew that was hitting his thigh. It was slipping off his thigh into the goal. He could quite easily have uh, avoided touching that with his hand, but he wanted to keep it out. And it was almost a double movement. So for me, definite uh, penalty, definite sending off, unfortunately. And I think the game after that was ruined because the first 45 minutes was absolutely sensational. I think that's the key, isn't it? You know, I think it might be harsh to observers because they don't like the idea of someone being punished twice for the same offence almost. But ultimately, in law, Anthony Taylor has no choice. He has to send him off once he decides that it is a handball. I mean, Thomas Tuchel said, you know, maybe because it came off his side, he thought he might not be penalised. But ultimately, he stopped a goal. And when you stop a goal, it's handball it's a sending off and there's no real argument about it because that's the way the law is written, Alex. Yeah, I'm surprised there's so much debate, to be honest. If I was a Liverpool player or a supporter and the red card didn't come out, I would have been asking serious questions because, yes, it may have come off his thigh, but that's irrelevant anyway. But he also did move the arm. You can call it a natural reaction, an instinct, but he did move his arm yeah. to stop the ball crossing the line. So for me, there is no debate. Um, it was a shame for the spectacle in one way. But in another, actually, Puris probably enjoyed this, the second half and the way that uh, the Chelsea played and, and found a way to stop Liverpool with 10 men. We're going to talk about Arsenal later 
the complete opposite when they went down to 10 men. You had a coach who didn't react to the situation. Thomas Tuchel showed Mikel Arteta how it should be done. And Chelsea showed a lot of character as well in that game. Do you worry a little bit, Trevor, that Liverpool didn't have enough to unlock the door off the bench? I mean, there was times when Jurgen Klopp sort of looking around thinking, how can I change this? And he couldn't. Yeah, not not really, because it's very rare that you come up against a, a, a team um, so solid, so organised, so driven, um, with the desire to keep the ball out the back of the net. I thought Mendy in goal for Chelsea was outstanding as well. And I feel that like it's just Liverpool come up against a really, really tough team, well organised. And sometimes when you have 10 men behind the ball, which Chelsea at times did... And this is a scenario, you know, any good coach worth his salt would will put on from time to time. Take two men out. Right, there's nine men. Defend the goal. Okay, when you've won the ball back, right, bang, defend the goal again. This is a normal training session for defences to work hard. You might have a, a, a centre forward out injured or lying down on the side of the pitch getting treatment. Does that mean that you're not going to defend properly? You can still defend with 10 or 9 men. But, and I think Chelsea's shown a fantastic example how to do that. But is this a psychological setback for Liverpool? The fact that they had Chelsea down to 10 men at Anfield with 45 minutes to go and they didn't get all three points? I think they're stronger characters than that. It's very early in the season. Uh, you said at the start of your commentary that you know the title race isn't going to be decided today. It will be a barometer. I think these head-to-heads are going to play a key role. I think that the top four are so far clear of everybody else. But ultimately, Liverpool are still in a pretty promising position going into the international break. So Jurgen Klopp might be a bit frustrated, but he'll also be aware they were up against a very good team and a very good coach. Both teams lost players to injury. Chelsea lost N'Golo Conte again. He, I mean, he's broken down a few times over mm. the last couple of years after going through a period where he never seemed to pick up a single ailment. He, he seems to be constantly on the treatment table now. And Roberto Firmino having to come off at half-time. Trevor, thank you very much for making me look a complete idiot in front of Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> by the way, because Trevor was insisting, actually, there was a potential that that could have been a tactical substitution. So when I went I down to that. speak to Jurgen Klopp, I said to him, and was it a tactical substitution or was it an injury? And he just laughed in my face as if to say... Why on earth would I make that sort of substitution? I was like, well, Trevor Sinclair told me. But even, even, even the fact that it was an injury and they didn't wait till half time, I think that just shows that Jurgen Klopp is an elite manager because you'll see managers think, well, just leave it, just take it easy for the next two or three minutes because there's only a couple of minutes left in the game. And then when we get to half time, we'll assess it. He wasn't taking any risks. He got him off the pitch. He got Jotter on. And actually, Jotter had something to do with the goal which they scored uh, late on in the half. Yeah, it was very impressive, wasn't he? Running in behind. He's just slightly different to Roberto Firmino. And he does give them a little bit more of a goal threat, something that obviously has dried up for Roberto Firmino over the last year or so. Um, what did you make of Romelu Lukaku's performance, Alex? It's, it's difficult to judge because for the second half, he was part of a team that were defending for their lives and only really trying to mount the odd counter-attack. But I did think that Virgil van Dijk possibly had his measure. And mm. I did raise it on the uh, on the boot room on Sunday night. And this is probably why you're asking the question. It was a criticism when he was at Manchester United that maybe he didn't necessarily turn it on in the big games. Is there a concern amongst Chelsea fans that while I think he will get a lot of goals this season, when you need him to come up with a winner in those head-to-heads against your rivals in the biggest games when they're tight, will he do it? Well, I'll tell you what he did do yesterday. He absolutely held the ball up, gave Chelsea an outlet, which they wouldn't have had necessarily if he wasn't in the team, and allowed them just to take a couple of gulps of air, a reset, get sorted again, whilst they just prepared for the next red onslaught, Trevor. He did. Um, I mean, the ball had to be quite accurate, I have to say, but when it did 
come in his vicinity, he was very good. When he had a chance, he was very good. I do say I do agree with uh, what Crookie said though. I think he was really well marshaled, not just by Virgil Van Dijk, but I thought Jao Matic played very well. You I know, thought he was excellent, best. Matic. I yeah, he, he looked fit. He looked like he'd done his strengthening conditioning over the preseason. Just looked really strong. You know, at times I've, I've looked at him and thought a little bit of a foal. You know, like a newly born foal where he's not quite got his legs and he's not quite got his assurance beneath him, but. On Saturday, honestly, I thought it was excellent. For me, he was he was a candidate for man of the match because he was that good, competent. He snuffed out any chances that uh, were, were created by Chelsea and he moved the ball well as well. Uh, those two will certainly be up there, I think, throughout the course of the season. Will Manchester United be title contenders? They've won away from home against Wolverhampton Wanderers by a goal to nil on Sunday afternoon when they barely deserved to. Cristiano Ronaldo was certainly uh, keenly felt. His presence keenly felt at Molyneux. There was a cardboard cutout there. Uh, probably moved a little bit more than most of the Manchester United team, Crookie. Yeah, it wasn't a great performance, uh, really picking up where they left off against Southampton. It's a little bit of a concern uh, but listen, it's early in the season. They're still trying to bet in. Jaden Sancho, I think I'm still really to see him sparkle either for Manchester United or for England. But Kevin Hatchard, who watches him, watched him regularly in the Bundesliga, says he will be a sensational player. So hopefully he'll be right. I thought Varane did well on his debut. As you say, he had to soak up a lot of pressure uh, from Wolves, who you know just couldn't take the plethora of chances that came their way. De Gea had a good game, and I think um, he's reacted well at the start of the season because I think Henderson would have been number one uh, but for getting COVID, but De Gea really is trying to make the shirt his own. But they're going to have to play better than that Manchester United if they are to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool. Wolves could have been up 3-0 in 15 minutes if they'd been able to uh, finish their breakfast, Trevor. Yeah, really impressed with how Large's men played. They moved the ball. They stuck to that Wolves philosophy. You know, a lot of... Um, detail with their build-up play. Uh, they weren't desperate to get the ball forward. They weren't shy of recycling it. There was nice interlink of play in the middle of the park and a good understanding, sharp football. It was just that final third. They they weren't clinical enough. They created two or three really good opportunities and just weren't clinical enough. When, when you play against teams like Manchester United, you know, when you're on top like that, when you're creating good opportunities, you've got to take your chances and they didn't and they were punished in the end. It's not just Manchester United though, is it? I mean, it happened against Leicester, it happened against Tottenham, it's now happened against Manchester United. I, I'm, I'm sort of like torn because I love watching Adama Traore. He's so strong, fast, clever. The way he manipulates the ball away from players is amazing. He's so dogged and determined. At one stage, he was being harassed by Luke Shaw and about three other blue shirts, and he still emerged with the ball, got into a wing position. But as seems to be the tendency with him, he'll get to the edge of the penalty area, inside the penalty area, to the right side of the penalty area, and not be able to either deliver the ball into the box or come up with a telling shot that really causes the opposition any problem. And it's very sort of difficult without that end product. You have to ask the question, what, what, what is he bringing to the party? Yeah, we said this, didn't we, in the preview podcast when we were talking about Tottenham's interest in him, which they may well follow up between now and the window closing on Tuesday. But if you're going to pay £40 million, which is the valuation that Wolverhampton Wanderers have, I think you need a bit more end product. And I think we saw that again against Manchester United. I think it's a concern in general um, that if Raul Jimenez doesn't score, then Wolves are struggling four goals. Of course, they introduced Huang Hee Chan, having signed him from RB Leipzig, the South Korean forward, before the game. I confess I don't know an awful lot about him, but maybe that will ease the burden on Jimenez. But I think there have been promising signs from Wolves early in the season that they will be okay. Um, Trinkau looked quite lively, didn't he, Trevor? 
Yeah, good footballer. Um, sharp, uh, looks after the ball. Again, plenty of creativity. I slightly disagree with uh, Adama Traore. I thought he was really good. I, I looked at a stat at half-time and there was 10 take-ons uh, successfully completed in the first half and seven of them were by Traore. I think he's, what he's got... I How think many goals went, were there though? No, there wasn't any goals because the end product wasn't there. I think Jimenez is finding his feet. He looked quite sharp. It was really obviously massively pleasing to see him back on the pitch um, full of enthusiasm full of run he's not quite getting into the positions that he used to where he, he kind of splits defenders and the ball the perfect ball was coming into him from Traore but looking at Traore I feel Nuno uh, has got a, a relationship with him where he feels he can get the best out of him and he's not sure that that will be the case in, uh, at Wolves but I do think that his brilliant basics have improved massively. You know, his first touch, his decision-making, his disguise, like there's a couple of times in the second half where it looked like he was just going to float inside and look for a side pass and all of a sudden he drops his shoulder. So he's putting a bit more disguise on it. He's catching players out. It's early on in the season, like we said before, that end product will improve. And uh, yeah, I've got no, I've got no fears for Wolves. Fifty-seven to be shots so far in the Premier League this season, Wolverhampton Wanderers, no goals. Um, Crook, a uh, quick word on uh, Manchester United and their midfield. They changed it slightly today. Um, Pogba playing alongside Fred at one stage. I mean, he was a little bit further up with Fernandez at another stage. Um, when he was playing as the quarterback, I would sort of looking at thinking he keeps playing the same ball down the chat. There's no one really to run on. The end of that, it didn't really work, did it? I mean, it just doesn't look quite connected in there yet. Oh, it's a work in progress, isn't it? And we, we know it's going to be a conundrum that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to have now, just how he's going to get all these attacking players in the team. I think Mason Greenwood's reaction was quite telling when he came off, actually, because he's probably a little bit put out that Ronaldo is basically going to come in and, and be the main man up front, which, of course, is where he wants to play this season. Fred is still a concern for me in midfield. I think when McTominay is fully fit, he'll probably sit as the deepest midfielder with Fernandez and Pogba ahead of him. Sancho has to start because the price tag. Ronaldo has to start because he's Ronaldo. So it will be Rashford or Greenwood as part of that front trio. But maybe those two are going to have to rotate a bit this season. Um, they've uh, now lost their last six Premier League matches at Wolverhampton Wanderers, but Manchester United are 28 games unbeaten away from home a new record in the Premier League they've taken it away from Arsenal who have had a very very bad weekend haven't they <laughs> they have I mean that's a brilliant record for uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know there's a lot of doubters out there still I think the fact that he's the, the, the club whilst Ollie's the manager been able to get Ronnie over the line obviously Sancho I thought he, he struggled today I think there's a lot of kind of chemistry that they need to create and you look at the chemistry of players that know each other and when uh, Pogba's it kind of in the middle in the, like that sixth position and the ball's getting played from the right hand side just on his first time and the, the understanding between him and uh, Bruno Fernandes is brilliant it's just a lofted first time ball over his shoulder just clears the defence and Bruno was very unfortunate not to be in two or three times he's, he's already scored like that and yeah I, I expect that to continue to improve and, and maybe running to start coming a little bit deeper and picking up the ball uh, when that doesn't happen so yeah it, there's a lot of chemistry to gain there but it's just not quite happening at the moment for Manchester United Wolverhampton Wanderers in 18th position with naught points uh, from three games played Manchester United up into third seven points uh, from their three games and a better goal difference than Chelsea are in fourth and Liverpool in fifth but top of the pile are Tottenham we'll get to them in just just a second, but first of all, let's get to the bottom and Arsenal.
Grealish now with a great run into the penalty area, plays it low, and it's turned in by Gabriel Jesus. Manchester City have a third just before half-time, made by Jack Grealish, finished off by Gabriel Jesus. Manchester City rampant, Arsenal rudderless, 3-0. Yes, you can be in the position defensively, but you've got to be switched on, you can't just let a Bernardo Silva just drift wherever he wants and then be able to pick up the ball with no pressure on him and then he's able to find Jesus no pressure on him then to Bernardo Silva no pressure on him back to Jesus no pressure on him crossed in and then come on Chambers got to win that header at the back post got to here is Gundogan again now Zinchenko Back to Laporte, Zinchenko now will find Gabriel Jesus. Ferran Torres on the edge of the penalty, he looks to turn back towards Rodri. Deliberate finish from him, swept in from 25 yards. And that is exhibition stuff once again from Manchester City. They lead by four goals to nil. Arsenal bedraggled and desperate, but Manchester City are simply at a different level. This is nine successive Premier League defeats for Manchester City against Arsenal and that's their longest run against any club and it's also Pep Guardiola's 10th victory against Arsenal Mares with the cross into the penalty area Ferran Torres with a glancing header in off the far post and it's 5-0 to Manchester City and they could be heading for their third successive 5-0 victory here at the Etihad Stadium and once again Arsenal were bereft and they were absent without leave inside that penalty area it is much too easy for Manchester City as Arsenal's early season problems deepen even more. Dean Ashton wasn't pulling his punches uh, during the live commentary on TalkSport at the weekend. He said, uh, you know, uh, Arsenal were embarrassing at times even Nigel Adderley not one to sort of usually go in two-footed said they're about as useful as a bunch of traffic cones um, even um, like yesterday when we were discussing the, the sort of goals of the week someone suggested that maybe uh, Gundogan should be given an, an honour for performing the best trick of the weekend because he managed to make himself invisible for a few seconds to three Arsenal defenders uh, for the second goal. I mean, really and truly, it was an embarrassing display, wasn't it? And you can take the mick as much as you like and banter obviously comes into it because that's what we do. We're football fans. We all have a go at one another and it's all a bit of good fun. But actually, if you're an Arsenal supporter, it's pretty pretty depressing, really, because this was a about as dismal as it gets. The high of the 6-0 win against West Bromwich Albion kids has been sort of like pierced very quickly. I mean, the momentum is all gone. Yeah, but I don't think any real Arsenal fan was fooled by what happened in midweek. You've said it, it was West Brom's kids. It was a you you, you, you were saying that it was it was good for them on the preview pod, I think. I mean, me and Darren had to try and bring you down a couple of pegs. You <laughs> were getting excited it, about it. I was saying it was good for Aubameyang in, in terms of a striker's confidence, and I'm sure Trevor uh, would agree. But I mean, it was absolutely hapless and, and hopeless. All the negative words that you can think of to sum up that Arsenal performance I've mentioned it already. Thomas Tuchel had a man sent off and came up with a, a, a master plan. Mikel Arteta um, saw a man get sent off and for me only avoided a, a massive hammering because his mate Pep Guardiola went easy on him. And, you know, Pep's comments afterwards, that oh, the, the sending off changed the game. No, it didn't. They were going to get battered anyway. You know, that back, 
that back three they named was it was a league cup back three really it was a, it was a dreadful team dreadful tactics they are in a very big hole at the moment Mikel Arteta says uh, we controlled the game up until the first goal but the first goal came from their first shot on target and after seven minutes I mean I mean, I don't know if it's sort of it like was a good seven minutes. I mean, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it, is, it sounds a bit delusional, really, doesn't it? I mean, to come out and say that. I mean, maybe he's clutching at straws because you know he is really struggling. But ultimately, I mean, the idea of coming out and saying such a stupid and ridiculous thing makes him look even more hapless, as Crook said. I mean, it, all sorts. It's all going wrong for us. It's all piling on top of them. The idea that Kalasinac was playing in this game is mind-boggling. Bearing in mind they've spent the summer trying to shift him on. The idea that Xhaka was the one defensive midfield player, one defensive midfield player that they decided to play, he got sent off. Of course he did, because he, he, he's got more, sent off more than anybody else since the start of 2016-17. He's had four red cards. It's not like it's a surprise. And he's just been given a new contract to the end of 2024. I mean, mm. ultimately, this looks like a club, which is an absolute mess. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you, Sam. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked by... One, the, 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 the formation, they changed it again. Um, and I know players are, are quite sharp and, and savvy and, you know, they're bright now. Um, but if you're playing a game midweek and you're playing a certain system and then you're playing at the weekend, you're playing another formation and then the, the following week you play another formation. I mean, I wouldn't know whether what was going on. Any philosophy, we talk about philosophies now, which is a game plan and, and an ideal of how you want to play. Any philosophy, and I don't care who it is, it has to involve what if we lose the ball? It has to involve be difficult to create chances against. That is rule number one. And unfortunately, it's almost like it's a domino effect. If you miss out on rule one and you do loads of all good things, you know, you start the game well, you create different situations, but you're wide open for a straight ball to get absolutely destroyed and concede. I don't care what forwards are playing for Arsenal. If you're conceding goals at the rate that Arsenal are conceding, your confidence is going to go. Gundogan scored a header in, in the first seven minutes. He's five foot ten. I mean, it's, 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 it's farcical. And then going on from that, you know, the scenario where Xhaka was sent off, for me, again, you know, you look at what happened with uh, Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. I know he had 15 minutes because it happened at halftime. But still, I think if, it, if that happens at 20 minutes, within a, a minute or two, Chelsea have changed that formation and they filled that that gap and they've maybe jeopardised a forward-thinking player and made a substitution and shored things up and said, right, we're not going to concede. Arteta didn't do that. He waited. No. As a result of waiting, they then conceded a third goal, which was a bit of a Mickey take, really, because Edison just stood there, waited for a massive gap to appear, passed it through two Arsenal players, and then Ferran Torres had the freedom of the Etihad to pick out Grealish into the box and bang, there we are. Yeah, it, it, it was crazy from Arteta because they were never going to get back in the game at 2-0 down with 11 men let alone with 10 it should have been damage limitation at that stage in the end it ended up being humiliating and embarrassing they've got Norwich next if, if they don't win that game even if they get a draw I think his position almost becomes untenable right okay let's turn our attention to Tottenham Hotspur because they uh, are top of the table and they're top of the table thanks to a 1-0 victory over Watford Son with the goal after 42 minutes I mean so much has happened over the course of uh, the summer they've been flirting with every single manager that they could possibly uh, be linked with they ended up with Nuno Espirito Santo I think most of the Tottenham fans were underwhelmed then they were losing Harry Kane then he was staying now they're signing uh, players from all over the place and actually 
they look quite a good team, don't they? I mean, they're not exactly spectacular to watch, but they get the job done. Yeah, and unlike Arsenal, they seem to have um, a philosophy under Nuno. And bearing in mind, he's not been there very long and, and probably <coughs> still hasn't got the players that he wanted at this stage. I think that's really positive. Um, they weren't swashbuckling. They weren't spectacular. In fact, the football was quite similar to what Jose Mourinho was serving up this time last season. Um, but they're sitting pretty. They've won all three games yet to concede. Harry Kane wasn't at his sharpest, so they've still got him to hit top gear. And they've still got Son, 200th Premier League appearance. I think it was a goalkeeping error um, with a free kick. I think Batman will look at that and think he should have done better. But you can only beat what's in front of you and they've managed to do that so far. It's interesting you say about the Jose Mourinho thing and the comparison between the two because I think they've benefited, actually, or well, Nuno benefits from the fact that he's Nuno Espirito Santo. So the Tottenham fans are a little bit more forgiving. There's less expectation placed upon him to come up with a wonderful, brilliant style of football. It, with Jose Mourinho, because he's such an A-lister, the, the world is expected of him. But actually, because he's like the eighth-choice gaffer, the fact that he started with three goals in three games and hasn't conceded yet, and they're top of the table with nine points, there's no real complaining that the Tottenham fans can do. No, there isn't. And actually, the work that he's done under the pressure that he's been under for me... Um, it was a luke, lukewarm reception, I think, he got from the Tottenham fans when they heard that he was getting the job. Um, obviously, Harry Kane, um, you know, what was going on with him, that was a, a, almost a circus. So he's had to deal with that. He's had to get his players fit. He's had to teach them how he wants them to play a different style of football. Um, and he's brought some players into the team that have not played a lot of football for Tottenham over the last couple of years. Skip's come in back from Norwich. Tantanga's he's done really well. And at Delhi Alley, he's starting to play his part. And to do all that with all the circus that's been going on on the sideshow, I think you have to give him credit. I mean, that is unbelievable to win your first three games. And let's not forget, they beat Manchester City. Um, I think he's done it outstanding. He understands football. He understands that he wants to play possession-based football, but he doesn't want to concede. He's brought in men to do a job that specifically you can see that he's he's coaching them daily to, to, to give them positional sense on the transition, make sure you're in there straight away. I, I've always liked Nuno as a manager when he's been at Wolves and I think he's going to do a terrific job at Tottenham and I'm pleased that they're doing so well. I mean, that defence, I mean, if anybody else had picked it, you'd be looking at it thinking, what on earth is going on? Eric Dyer alongside Davinson Sanchez, Tanganga, young kid or, you know, someone who hasn't really played that much football playing at right back, which is not his natural <coughs> position. Reguillon, who can get caught out. Actually, you know, they've done very well and the blocks that Dyer and Sanchez both uh, inflicted on Saar in particular when Sissoko set him up, I thought were, were excellent. And, you know, I, I, all credit to them for setting up in that way and managing to keep Watford, uh, Wolves and Manchester City out. Yeah, Watford weren't great. Um, they haven't managed to hit the heights in the last two games. They did against Aston Villa on the opening day. And you do wonder now how much was that result down to the fact Aston Villa were way off it as opposed to Watford being very good. They're letting Troy Deeney go. I think he's probably going to end up uh, getting his dream move to Birmingham, uh, which is great for him. But I don't know if it's great for them because he came on against Brighton in the game I commentated for Talk Sport last weekend. And he, he was a handful. He gave them something different, something the likes of Saar don't. And I just wonder if, um, if that decision might come back and haunt them. And also just because of his personality and character in the dressing room. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. the new season. Mares with the cross into the penalty area. Ferran Torres with a glancing header in off the far post and it's 5-0 to Manchester City. The moment he will have the full squad, everything is going well because I know him perfectly and I know the quality that he has as a person and as a, as a, as a manager. I have to say thank you to the fans because we have 3,000 fans today and they give unconditional support to the players and that's best translated to the club. That's the reaction of all the players going there. It's not about them, they've been absolutely terrific. It's finished, Aston Villa 1, Brentford 1, fair result here. We'll be taking this penalty in front of the Everton fans. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, 2-2 two two in the Premier League this season. Make that 3-3, three three. it's Brighton nil. Everton 2. McArthur, left-hand corner of the box, plays an early ball in. Gallagher trying to make room for a shot. He's done it again! Conor Gallagher, superb footwork. West Ham 2, Palace 2. Woodman doing star jumps almost on the line. Ward-Prowse waits, right-footed, comes forward and sticks it in the bottom corner. Newcastle's wait for a win goes on. It's Newcastle 2, Southampton 2. The referee blows the whistle and Leicester City have won it by two goals to one. A rattling good game here. Norwich certainly played their part, but they have now lost three Premier League games out of three. Mo Salah missed his first ever penalty for Liverpool, but he has since scored all 16 spot kicks. Steps up left foot, he drills it home, and Liverpool are level. And Mohamed Salah has his 99th Premier League goal. Finishes Liverpool 1, Chelsea 1. A last-minute James Ward-Prowse goal. In fact, it wasn't even last minute. It was 90-plus-6, wasn't it, when he struck eventually after Jamal Lascelles was penalised by the VAR for a late challenge in the Newcastle penalty area. Handed Southampton uh, the chance to equalise after what was a really dramatic last few minutes. Alan Sam Maximam had put 
Newcastle in front with seconds to go. They thought they'd won it. The Gallagate was going crazy. He was in there hugging everybody. And then all of a sudden at the other end, they considered another goal. I mean, a little bit of luck running out maybe for Steve Bruce. He seemed to have a little bit of luck last season. Has that started to desert him now, Crook? Well, it's, it's a strange game, this, because I think if you told Southampton at half time that they would be... 2-1 down going into stoppage time. They would have been really disappointed because they dominated the first half or comfortably the better team and end up being relieved to come away with just a point. So it's a difficult game to really get a handle on. I think it was a better point in the end for Southampton than it was for Newcastle, clearly with a late goal. Very coolly converted penalty from James Ward-Prowse. And I think there, there are reasons to be positive on the South Coast. Livermento, who I've mentioned already, and I know you're a fan of, Sam. The partnership between Adams and Armstrong seems to be gelling very quickly. Newcastle are just too reliant on Wilson and Sam Maximan. Both on the score sheet, fantastic. But neither of them are going to stay fit for the entire season. And I think that's a problem for Steve Bruce. Yeah, and both these two teams are still waiting for a win. And Newcastle really didn't really give much encouragement to their fans that this wouldn't be another season where they are dicing with death towards the bottom of the table, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, at first half, I thought Southampton were excellent. Apart from that, literally that final touch, Gineppo uh, should have scored three. I mean, he, yeah. he missed sitter upon sitter. Um, I thought Adams and Armstrong, I thought their movement was superb. It really caused problems for the Newcastle defence. Uh, Elinousi, I thought his running off the ball was excellent as well. And they just caused a lot of problems for Newcastle. And then obviously the goals went against them, um, but they've shown great characters to get back in the game. I agree. You know, I think Wilson, St. Maximum, far too relied upon uh, at Newcastle I thought Jacob Murphy's done well he's, 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 he's got involved in a few assists and he looks to be improving in that right wing back role and Richie obviously he's created a lot of chances this season but it just seems like there's something missing with Newcastle whether they're, they I'm not sure what it is whether they need to try and change their attack or be on the front foot start winning more balls in the middle of the pitch start games better but the first half really wasn't good enough no, it wasn't. Um, I, what did you think of uh, Ralph Hausenhuel's tracksuit yesterday? I was a little bit disappointed by the fact that he'd switched out the, the, the rather impressive um, waistcoat and very tight slacks combo. At least he didn't turn up in his speedos as he threatened to after the Manchester United game. <laughs> hey, don't. It, there was, you, know, you know Brian Prisker, who used to play for Portsmouth back in the day? He's now the Antwerp manager. He had a bet with his players that if they won their Europa League uh, playoff game, uh, against Ammonia uh, FC. He would do the press conference naked. They won on penalties and he turned up to the post-match press conference with no clothes on. <laughs> I love that. True love story. That. Can we get you two to do a commentary naked at some point? No. This Why? Why would Absolutely anyone want to see not. that? <laughs> no, no one would want to see that. No. Uh, West Ham 2, Crystal Palace 2. Uh, this was a brilliant game. Uh, West Ham United, uh, I think, probably disappointed that they haven't got all three points in this match. But Conor Gallagher, I mean, he was fantastic and took his two goals really well. The second of which was probably the goal of the weekend, but might even be goal of the month, Trevor. I was buzzing um, for, for West Ham, especially the first goal they scored. I mean, it, you know, we talk about the West Ham way. It was absolutely beautiful. You know, it, it, great uh, interlink of play, forward passing. Antonio got down the left-hand side, chopped it back, looked like the chance had gone. He put a nice little lay on, received the ball back, give it back to Four Niles. And it, it was just a delicious goal. And, uh, you know, I heard the atmosphere at the London Stadium and it really did remind me of Upton Park. It was fantastic. The fact that I didn't win the game, I don't care. 
that is the football that West Ham fans want to see. Entertaining, forward-thinking, creative, runners going on beyond the ball. And actually, that's that's football going through the areas. If you've got runners, willing runners, and you've got quality going into them, you're going to create chances. And I'm pleased for Vieira. I'm pleased he got something out of the game. Um, especially pleased for... Um, Conor Gallagher because I thought it was excellent last season at West Brom and it was really struggled but this season the second goal I thought it was exceptional you know to receive the ball back to goal little Cruyff great feet and then to slot it that'd be a big confidence boost for him and I, I, I think he's got a big big future the boy yeah pleased that they've got off the mark with some goals Crystal Palace because <coughs> you were wondering where they were going to come from they can't rely on Conor Gallagher to score them all though and uh, they will need to see uh, to get some sort of uh, um, forward play going a little bit more connected than they have done up until this point. Uh, those two teams both been involved in transfer activity though, Crook, haven't they? With West Ham signing Kurt Zuma for £29.8 million. Trevor and I were sort of thinking about this. £29.8 million, does that represent good value for Kurt Zuma? It's a statement for West Ham to spend that kind of money um, on a central defender, plus the wages that we know he was demanding. But listen, they needed bodies. They've got the Europa League and it's a competition they will try and take seriously. So they needed strength and depth. I think they're going to sign Nikola Vlasic as well. That should go through between now and Tuesday from CSK. Moscow, former Everton player. That will be another £25 million. The owners have taken a lot of flack, haven't they, for, for not investing in the team. But certainly that would be significant spending for them. And Crystal Palace getting in Will Hughes. I think that's an astute signing. But they need a striker. Um, Odson Edward is a name that is being mentioned with them and so too Eddie Nketiah he missed a big chance for Celtic on Sunday well yeah but they just need they, they need a focal point um, and, and they're lacking one so I can see why he's attractive to them but yeah, it's a step up his step link up, up play his, his link up play is very good you know whether he's clinical or not in the game against Rangers today his link up play throughout his time at Celtic is excellent he I, shows for the ball he understands good patterns of play uh, he runs in behind yeah he's, I think he'd be a good acquisition for uh, Palace I only said it to wind you up Trev just to remind behave, you behave yourself <laughs> but just going just going back to West Ham and listen whether Kurt Zuma is the right man for the job we need I think West Ham need another cent- central defender they've got Dawson he, I think he picked up a bit of an injury towards the end of that game they've, obviously Ogbonna is not the youngest player Diop still learning but can come in and do a job so I think they definitely needed that you mentioned Nikola uh, Vlasic I'd rather see Jesse Lingard I, I, I think most fans would because he's going to stay at Manchester United though what's he going to do what is he going to do at Manchester United Sam this is what I'm saying he was brilliant last year he was loved by everyone not just the players the coaching staff and the fans he he got back in the England squad you know and I know he's in there now but it's one of them where if he doesn't play football and I, I can't see him playing at Manchester United I can't see him getting game time He's just going to rot again, and 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 it's not good for him. It's not good for his. I don't think it's good for a player who's got so much ability and so much to give, and so much enthusiasm and so much creativity to be sat around training training Monday to Friday, and then just watching the lads at the weekend. I agree with you, Trevor. But from what I don't, whether or not it's a game by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and he's trying to drive the price up, he has said he is prepared to keep him. Now, look, we all know that in these times there is the propensity at any given moment for a COVID outbreak to strike and you to be robbed of three or four players. And Manchester United are challenging on many different fronts this season. He's too good for that, Sam. And I wonder whether or not most of the big teams, Chelsea included, and Manchester City, are going to retain more players maybe than they would have done maybe two years ago because of that possibility. I think it's a good shout, although Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's stance did seem to change after the Wolves game on Sunday. He was asked about fringe players, asked about Dan James, 
in particular and admitted that he's got his admirers and with Ronaldo coming, maybe they might consider now um, sending some players out because they won't get the minutes that perhaps they want. Okay, well, it's a possibility between now and then. Any other big gossip uh, from uh, the transfer world? Because you're going to be a big part of transfer deadline day on TalkSport. You, Dan Windle, and Jim White, double dipping. He's doing 10 till 1 in the morning and 10 till 1 at night. (laughs) He is, and uh, I'll be with him for that late shift. I think the attention uh, is very much on Chelsea and their pursuit of Jules Bunde. I'm expecting uh, another bid to go in for him probably on Monday morning. I think Thomas Tuchel is, is keen to bolster that back line. Brighton want a striker. Crystal Palace wants a striker. There aren't that many out there. West Ham in for Vlasic and maybe Lingard, as we've mentioned. So I think it will be quite a hectic final day of the deadline. Arsenal just trying to shift on some of their fringe players. Uh, basically, Willian taking a massive pay cut to get out of the club. Let's start with Burnley against Leeds. Graham Beecroft was doing this game for TalkSport and he uh, said at half-time, there was a period towards the end of the first 45 when a football match broke out. Previous to that, it had been a wrestling match with a football just pinging around everywhere. It was quite a sort of uh, wild and intense game between two teams, maybe a clash of styles, really. I think Leeds like to make you feel uncomfortable and they rush you man-to-man all over the pitch. The formation sort of changes in-game. It was one stage 3-3-3-1, three, 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 then it was 3-4-2-1. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to sometimes pin down exactly what they're trying to do because they're so fluid. And, and Burnley did struggle a little bit with that, but they looked to be getting all three points uh, with Chris Wood nudging in after Matt Lowton's effort from the edge of the area, only for Patrick Bamford to pop up in the dying seconds. It means now that they haven't won Burnley at home since January. Yeah, it's a big problem for them. Turf Moor, such a fortress since they came into the Premier League. I'm sure it's a a problem that Sean Dyche will be trying to solve. But uh, please with Patrick Bamford. Um, It was a... the type of goal the strikers love to score. It was instinctive. I'm still not absolutely convinced that Chris Wood actually got a connection on the Burnley goal. Maybe uh, one for the dubious goals panel. But yeah, that that will feel like a win for Leeds to come back uh, from behind and, and pick up a point on, on what would be a difficult place for them to go, as you say, just because of that clash of styles. So both teams still to win. Um, but probably more concerned for Burnley at this stage than we are for Leeds. Yeah, I think the fact that he celebrated so wildly um, suggested that he must have got something on it. Although, or I he don't... was trying to kid us. He's a blagger. I don't think the goalkeeper covered himself in glory. I've got to be uh, completely honest. Um, Aston Villa won, Brentford won. Ivan Tony promised us that he would get a goal this week for our fantasy teams, and he did, Trevor. It's important for him to get off the mark. It is, it is. And when he when he started playing for Brentford at the in the championship, he struggled to start with. Um didn't I think it was seven games, he didn't score. But for me, from the performances I've seen from Ivan Tony, he's one of them never he never gives up. He works his socks off for the team. He brings more to the team than goals, even though he broke the record in the championship last year with 31 goals. He works tirelessly defending, he wins balls in both boxes, he closes defenders down. Uh, he's a real team player and I'm I'm pleased for him. Because when you've got an honest player like that who's going to put everything in for the team, um, you want him to do well. And the fact that he's got off the mark so soon in his third game in the Premier League is brilliant for him. It's his first. I'm sure he'll score more because he's got that tenacious attitude where he's going to give everything for the team. He's going to prepare himself before games and he's going to go in there like it's war and try and get the three points for his for his team. So, yeah, delighted for him. Um, I'm pleased Brentford have started the season well. You know, four points. 
decent start, good win, opening when we all watched that on the Friday night. And uh, they've got momentum now and they've got team spirit and a good manager looking after them. Yeah, there was an incident in which they thought they might get a second goal when uh, Janel dispossessed the goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez, as he was trying to release it. But that is pretty much clear in the r- rules and regulations, the laws of the game, that you can't prevent a goalkeeper from releasing the ball, even if he hasn't got two hands on it anymore, Trev. Yeah, no, I, I don't like that rule because I quite like the, the cheeky chappy centre-forward just staying on the blind side and then as he chucks the ball up to volley it clear, just nicking it off his foot and putting it into the back of the net. But I understand why it's being done. Um, I'd say keepers have better awareness, you know, better spatial awareness, know what's around you and uh, don't get caught out. But yeah, smart thinking, didn't get away with it and uh, yeah, 1-1. Brighton nil, Everton 2. A crook, you were there for this one. Uh, Andros Townsend, uh, I think probably sort of gave away the, the the feeling of most Evertonians and Rafa Benitez when he talked about Damari Gray. He said 1.5 million in today's market. We couldn't believe it when he signed. I mean, that is unbelievable value, isn't it? It is when you consider that he was a player who was being talked about in the 25 to 30 million bracket at, at one stage. And actually, Darren Ambrose made the point on the boot room on Sunday by paying so little you almost take the pressure off him straight away because anything that he produces at that kind of price tag is a bonus. He was excellent on uh, Saturday. He deserves his goal. Andros Townsend on the other wing was superb as well. I was really impressed with Everton. You can see what Rafa Benitez is doing there already. That The fans who maybe didn't want him at first sight were bouncing with joy behind the goal. The only sour note, I guess, was Richarlison trying to nick the penalty off Calvert-Lewin in his petulant reaction, kicking a water bottle at the end of the game as he made his way down the tunnel. Yeah, you stuck the boot into him a couple of times on that so far, haven't you? What about John Moss's performance? Because there was one incident where, I think it was only 1-0 at the time, when he failed to play an advantage and Brighton had two men over in the penalty area and he pulled it back for a free kick. I think it's yeah. been said about John Moss, hasn't it, Trev, and his maybe uh, lack of uh, fitness levels at Premier League level. Nice bloke, though, and he owns a record shop, so, you know. <laughs> he wanted a breather, though, so he just thought he'd pull it back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Veltman penalty on Coleman, 100% convinced on that, are we? I am, yeah. I think he got wrong side. He, he, he was ball-watching. It was a fantastic ball inside him, uh, threaded inside the full-back. Um, great running, you have to say, by the Everton fullback. We've seen it so many times. Got himself wrong side. And I think if he would have made contact, he would have got away with it. But it's the fact that he made contact and then pushed Coleman over. I think it was it was an obvious, it was an easy one for the referee, that for me. Um, yep. Graham Potter, is he going to get Darwin Nunes? Is that right? Is the strongest name linked at Benfica? Yeah, not, not sure. Uh, Benfica asking for a lot of money. I think he's had an injury problem with his knee as well, which maybe is... <clears throat> Is putting Brighton off. But I do think they need somebody of that ilk. Again, like with Palace, they need a focal point. Neil Mope has scored two goals in three games. But for me, he just doesn't really offer that outlet that Brighton needs. So I think they're going to try and get somebody in uh, between now and Tuesday. It could be Nunez, um, but possibly not. Um, Norwich won Leicester 2, final game to look at. Should it have been 2-2? I don't think that Daniel Farker can really complain about the fact that Todd Cantwell was standing on the toes of Schmeichel and not interfering with play. Trevor, I mean, it it was offside, wasn't it? It was offside, but I think there's lessons to be learned from that for Todd Cantwell. Obviously, he's he's been given a job to do, standing in front of Schmeichel and and stop him coming for any cheap balls and any any, easy ones. He did that, but then it goes to the second phase of that um, set piece where it looks like your favourite or you've got a chance of getting first contacts on the ball. Make sure you just push out a little bit. 
you know, you can still stay in the line of Schmeichel, but make sure you stay on side. So I think lessons learned for him. Um, I weren't sure about Daniel Farker trying to remonstrate and saying he's he's 10 inches taller because that, that's ridiculous. But yeah, it's been a slow start, hasn't it, for Leicester? It's been a slow start. I think Their defence is absolutely shocking. Charles Sonchu yeah, is having... Sonchu, I mean... Mistake he, after he's, mistake after he's mistake. He's so rash. He's so rash. In possession, um, he's slack. You know, if you're not sure... Just use use your goalkeeper. And you can understand it, can't you, Trevor? Because they're missing basically a first choice back four through injury. Evans, Fafana, Castagna, um, the boy of Black Justin, Bertrand. They're they're all missing. I'm really excited for Bertrand as well because the the link up between him and uh, Harvey on the left-hand side looks so promising, Harvey Barnes. Um, And, you know, I watched him in the the community shield and I thought, this is going to be like this is going to be sensational yeah. and I think Leicester fans would have been really excited about that and the fact that they've not been able to get that combination going um, but Bardi again just he, he, he does what he says on the table he scores finish. goals absolutely super and like you know you talk about strikers and making mo- he knew that he was in space so why move he just stayed in that little pocket behind the the, the, the retreating back line Great ball back into him and, and it was such a clinical finish. And now I'm, I'm pleased for Brendan because it's been a difficult start that he's got his first win, but there's a lot of work there to, for him to do. Okay. And uh, I suppose we should leave the last word on Norwich to you, Crook. What did you think of their defensive display? I think they were better in, in this game all over the place. Oh, hold on a second. Really hold on a second. Beep, beep, but, beep, but, beep, but beep. they lost again and you've already given the stat with a negative goal difference. It's going to be a long, hard season. I still think they'll get relegated. Yeah, all your mates in Norwich now, you're sucking up to them all, aren't you? I, could, I heard you on the boot room as well, changing tact. Not sure about that. Yeah. Not sure about that. <laughs> Can I just add a little something? Obviously, I spoke to Stuart Webber about what they were trying to achieve this season and, and even last season when they before when they got relegated before they started the championship season. And they were trying to bring in mobility. They were trying to bring in pace. Uh, and for the, if you look at the first goal and you analyse the first goal, the first pass is from the left back position. They're trying to go into Puki's feet. It gets it gets cancelled. They lose possession. They win the ball back. The second time that this is the second chance they've got to clear the lines. Again, they're trying to thread I have a needle into Puki's feet, get dispossessed. They need runners to go beyond because it's too easy for opposition defences to squeeze up, snuffle out any kind of balls into Pookie and then get on the front foot. And the third time, it ended up in the back of the net. It was a mistake, obviously, uh, by the young player who's coming from Manchester United. Brandon Williams, yeah. Yeah, he thought he had more time on the ball, got dispossessed. Before you know it, it's in the back of the net. They need to have them runners going in beyond so they can alleviate a little bit of pressure. One great chance in the second half, Josh Sargent was set up by Rump, who came off uh, the bench. Those two players came in coming off the bench. I don't know whether or not they'll have enough to... Uh, Sargent in particular, he's still a young player, USA International. Very physical though, Yeah, he's a massive specimen, but where we score runs, goals... But I think he runs as well and that's what they need. They need runners in behind to stretch yeah. defences because if you don't, they'll just squeeze that, the life that, out That yeah. to me was the most promising move that they produced over the course of the game, really. I, I thought it was impressive. Um, look, yeah. thanks Crook and thanks to Trevor as well. We'll be back on the Thursday before the next round of Premier League matches, which is I think the something like the 9th of of September because it's internationals now England playing three games so TalkSport will have commentary of all of those Trevor enjoy yourself have a nice little international break thank you very much Sam enjoy it enjoy it play well 
Yeah, I've only got I've only got about five games during that period, so <laughs> it's not really a break for me. It's actually the most intense period of the season so far. But anyway, it's all good fun, uh, and we may we may get to go to uh, Poland, and that, that is a possibility. You never know. I'll let you know uh, on the Thursday that we all get back together. Uh, that's it from us. Make sure you rate and review the podcast, and continue to tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast from Talksport. It's available wherever you get your normal podcast, and of course on the wonderful Talksport app. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.